This is 128 Bits, a podcast about the most influential period of video games, what is known as the sixth generation, the Dreamcast, PS2, GameCube, and Xbox era. And on every episode, we will discuss one standout title from the generation and talk about its greatness, including its critical reception at the time, our favorite and least favorite things, its legacy, and what it would look like today. I'm your host, Rodrigo Nunez, and today I'm joined by Joseph and Hector in a special Take Under 128 Bits crossover <laughs> event that is sure to be the, uh, it's like we're saving this for sweeps week or whatever. And we're going to talk. Laszlo. And we're going to talk talk about a very strange collaborative effort and maybe the first big hd remake ever i'm talking of course about metal gear solid the twin snake so uh first of all how are you guys how are you hector how does it feel to be on 128 bits this is actually pretty cool um <laughs> i like that you said dreamcast because we got to talk about that sometime oh yeah <laughs> I've, I've been uh waving the flag of the dreamcast uh hard on this on on, on this podcast for I think harder than anyone. It's like the Dreamcast and Ace Combat. That's what I want to talk about all the time on every episode. So I'll find a way to Jimmy rig it. Oh, man. Skies of Arcadia. <laughs> Secretly, the Dreamcast was uh, the Xbox 1.0, but no one knows about it. Yep. And how are you, Joseph? Doing good. I actually didn't think about how funny that is that we're doing this collaborative effort to cover this collaborative effort. <laughs> right, yeah. There is a connection we're, there. We're normally a wrestling podcast. <laughs> All right. So let's get into the background of the game. Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes is an action-adventure, barely stealth video game <laughs> developed by Silicon Knights and Konami and released as a GameCube exclusive on March 9th, 2004. Now, Twin Snakes is a ground-up remake of the original Metal Gear Solid, which was developed by Konami for the PlayStation and released way back in 1998. Uh, Twin Snakes as a project was very ambitious and had a lot of different participants on it, but here's the basic idea behind it. So, Metal Gear Solid 2 had been released for the PS2 in 2001 and introduced a whole slew of mechanics that the previous generation game didn't have. So, Twin Snakes was envisioned as a next-gen remake of the original that would feature not only updated graphics, but elements from Metal Gear Solid 2. For example, first-person aiming, or being able to roll around or hang from ledges, or using a tranquilizer gun, which didn't exist in the first in the PlayStation game. Um, but because Konami and Metal Gear Solid creator uh, Hideo Kojima were working on Metal Gear Solid 3, the development would be handled by Nintendo via their second-party studio, Silicon Knights, with Dennis Diak serving as director. Uh, but as if that wasn't complicated enough, Miyamoto would oversee development along with Kojima, and the game would also feature brand new cutscenes directed by Japanese filmmaker Ryuhi Kitamura. Um, so it's kind of hard to keep track of that, but it's a remake of a game overseen by two directors from two different companies in Japan. While the game is developed in Canada, but the cutscenes are written and directed by a Japanese filmmaker. And not to mention, there's re-recording of all of the original voice acting and making new music, as well as re-recording some of the old music. So logistically, this game must have been a nightmare. <laughs> it's just all over the place. Everyone's involved. Uh, it's it's just very very strange. Uh, and I'm I'm surprised that it got made, but I can imagine there was a lot of meetings during the development of this thing. Oh, I was just gonna say it's a perfect like mix for this game to completely fail, and <laughs> it was. It, 
sorry so far it was awesome yeah yeah i I agree like it's it has the perfect recipe for vaporware right just like logistical nightmare that eventually everyone just gives up on um but development of the game started in 2002 right after silicon knights finished eternal darkness um so i i've heard this story from dennis diak himself in a podcast uh with ign a couple years ago Dennis Diak was in Japan when Miyamoto and Iwata like just sprung it on him over lunch. So he talks about how he was just there in the cafeteria and uh, Miyamoto was with him. And then Iwata came over and they tell him, hey, we're interested in doing a Metal Gear Solid on GameCube. Would you be interested? And uh, Iwata said they had been speaking with Kojima and told him like, yeah, we, we've been talking with him and we think you'd be perfect for it. Would you like to do it? <laughs> That's so awesome. And Diak was just like, uh, yeah, if you want us to do it, we can do it. Then they went on a bullet train trip to Tokyo the next day to meet with Kojima and Konami, and the deal was done. Uh, so, I mean, that's the story that Dennis Diak tells, but I'm sure that there had been like some deal that was in the works between Nintendo and Konami for a long time to get a Metal Gear game on the GameCube for years because, I mean, the GameCube sorely needed exclusives and they needed big hits or whatever, but... I thought it was super funny how it just kind of got sprung on the guy that was going to lead development for it over lunch. Just be like, uh, hey, you want to do this? Cool. It's Let's go to Tokyo. <laughs> because of how good Eternal Darkness was, which I do got to say, I can't believe you somehow moneyballed your way into getting this game in here before <laughs> Eternal Darkness. I, I, I had nothing to do with it. All, I, <laughs> I put all of my money in Ace Combat 4, uh, but it, somehow this got in here. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, Nintendo officially announced the game being developed on May 1st, 2003. And I remember this being a pretty big deal at the time um, because, yeah, everyone was like, oh, Metal Gear Solid on the GameCube, a remake. Uh, how's it going to be? How's it going to look? Um, it was just it was just a pretty big deal because Metal Gear is a big franchise. Um, but by September of that year, Dennis Stack revealed that they were working to make it so that whatever a player could do in Metal Gear Solid 2, they would be able to do in Twin Snakes and that the game would feature improved AI for Metal Gear Solid 2. This may seem like a small change, but when comparing it to the original, it's essentially a whole different game. Whereas the original featured a mostly top-down view and no control of the camera, the simple addition of first-person view changed the game completely. Uh, The story of the game, however, remained unchanged, with the game still featuring Solid Snake infiltrating Shadow Moses and encountering a series of over-the-top bosses, including, you guessed it, a... Metal Gear? That was my best solid snake. Um, But yeah, the story remained unchanged. The characters remained unchanged. But certain gameplay elements really made the game way, way different. Um, But the absolute biggest change was the presentation of the game. The graphics are all vastly updated. And it really shows how far technology has progressed in the six years since the original was released. Not only are we talking about vastly updated character models and environments, which came from a brand new engine, we're talking, of course, about the cutscenes. The cutscenes were a huge departure from the original. As opposed to the original, the cutscenes that usually came before and after a boss encounter or a big encounter with a character were full-on Matrix-like scenes. Uh, For example, one of them featured Solid Snake jumping on a missile shot from behind V, then flipping in the air and shooting back his own missile from his Stinger missile launcher, which was pretty awesome. Or my favorite sequence is the one in which Solid Snake fights Ninja or Grey Wolf, uh, Grey Fox, and Grey Fox chucks a huge rock at him and Snakes contorts himself midair over it. 
And then Gray Fox runs at him with sparks flying from his sword as he's dragging it across the ground. And it's just, it's very cool, but it's all a very early 2000s action movie. And in my opinion, they fit perfectly in a video game with a character like Solid Snake and with bosses like, you know, a guy that carries around a chain gun with him <laughs> or a lady that's a, the best sniper in the world that just uh, like hunts wolves and can speak to them or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, the game featured a re-recording of all the voice acting, which is impressive because Metal Gear Solid has a lot of dialogue. Specifically, the game features a mechanic in which you communicate with the people back at home base via a codec and you can talk to your commanding officer or any number of assistants on the mission. And all of these lines of dialogue were re-recorded in better quality audio than the original. And uh, one cool thing here is that they got rid of Mei Ling's Chinese accent, which never made sense because the character was born and raised in the USA. Uh, but just because she was ethnically Chinese, the original had her with a Chinese accent, which was Kind of problematic. Um, <laughs> overall, though, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes was an ambitious project with a lot of moving parts that created a solid game, uh, no pun intended, which is weird kind of side game in the Metal Gear Solid franchise, but it's another one of these GameCube exclusives that the console sorely needed and would go on to become a bit of an oddity looking back on it now. So I'm glad we're getting to talk about it in this episode. So yeah, that's the abbreviated story of Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. It's just, I, I, I continue to be shocked at how many different people had their hands on it. Just from like Miyamoto to Kojima to Dennis Diak to the film director to everyone just kind of doing something that, like Hector said, was seemed poised to fail at any given moment, but it didn't. And we got a good game out of it. Um, so getting to the critical reception of the game, Twin Snakes got overall good reviews. It has an 87 Metacritic score out of 54 critic reviews, which is, it's good. It's really good. Uh, Nintendo Power gave it a 94 saying, quote, it improves on the original in every respect. Better AI, better graphics, better sound, better Easter eggs, better cutscenes, end quote. Um, I don't know about the better Easter eggs. They were n more on the nose. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, but when you go to um, Otakon's office, there's like oh, a the Mario yeah. The there's Yoshi. like a Mario and a Yoshi, and there's like a Wave Bird that it's you a can GameCube instead of a PlayStation. Yeah, it's a GameCube. Um, so it's just like, eh, I guess, I guess they're better. I, I don't know. I mean, it's you gotta think of the source. It's Nintendo Power. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Consider them better Easter eggs. That is true. Um, <laughs> IGN gave it an 85, saying, "Quote: A damn fine sequel to one of the PlayStation's best games, but there is so much story." So much interrupting dialogue that I oftentimes found myself wishing for more games and less narrative, end quote. Now, I don't think that's a fair assessment on Twin Snakes because that's what Metal Gear Solid is, right? Yeah. Like every Metal Gear game has a crap load of dialogue because Kojima loves dialogue. Like he, he just loves to have people explaining weird conspiracy theories and you know nano machines and lali lule lo or whatever it is that that he goes into so i feel it's a bit unfair for ign to say um that like there's too much dialogue because that's what the game was and has always been and it's kind of like a metal gear solid thing yeah. um egm also gave it an 85 saying quote with each new with each new feature comes a downside first person aiming makes regular combat easier but it also makes boss battles far too easy. 
the new cutscenes are brilliantly produced when they're not overdosing on painfully cliched bullet time effects, and the graphical overhaul is nice, but we know GameCube is capable of better. End quote. So, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, like... What? Yeah, they're kind the of saying... Part like, of the, the last part of the graphic, I was like, what are you talking about? This looks amazing on the GameCube. Yeah. I didn't looked, even think the GameCube could do this. It looked really good. I don't know, like, I'm thinking, like, what other games look better? Like, okay... So Wind Waker technically That's, looks better, but yeah. it's a different art style. And it's um, Nintendo. Nintendo notoriously gets more out of their consoles than any other developer. Yeah, and and it's like Rogue Squadron technically probably had more polygons on the screen, but it's like a space flying game. You know, there's less detail and it's not so much character close-ups and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And Resident Evil 4 didn't places. come out till later. Yeah, Resident Evil 4 came out later. Um, I don't know. And I again, they talk about how the cutscenes are brilliantly produced and they're talking about painfully cliched bullet time effects, but it's just like, it's the early two thousands, man. It's like, that's, that's what it was. That's what movies yeah. were back <laughs> then. It's just like everything had bullet time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I feel like they're asking too much of it. I don't know. Uh, game pro gave it an even lower review with an 80 or 4.0 fun factor score in the game pro terms. And in his review, major Mike said, quote, in translating the game from the PlayStation to the GameCube, a lot gets lost. For Metal Gear vets, playing Twin Snakes isn't a new gaming experience per se. Rather, scenes and events slowly unfold, and the first thing that pops into one's head is how much more enjoyable it was the first time. End quote. <laughs> so I kind of disagree with him here, and it pains me to disagree with GamePro, but um, I, I remember playing... I, I never owned the original Metal Gear Solid, but I rented it a bunch in order to like get through it and um it it wasn't like i this game was better in my mind it just had a better presentation um it just had less frustrating elements to it um for example the the simple fact that you could control the camera was better um so yeah there's there's a lot of things that it, it is different than the original metal gear but i feel like it's it's better Whereas the original Metal Gear had a lot of limitations because of the system that it was developed on. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I disagree. Mean, just, it's like psychologically, it's also holding something against it that you can't really. Like, it was more enjoyable the first time. That's almost anything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like, I enjoyed Waterburger the first time I ever had it. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the lowest reviews that I found came from Edge Magazine, which gave it a 70, saying, quote, although the, the decision to lengthen the already generous cutscenes may deliver the odd treat for Metal Gear Solid veterans, many will find their duration exasperating. Crucially, though, some of the reworked sequences end up interfering with the game's pacing while failing to bring anything of substance to the experience. <laughs> so, yeah, they, huh? they they don't like the cutscenes. They think they're too long. They but, don't think they add anything. They, they think they're just fluff. So. That's what, but they're not even cutscenes. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're all in-game engine. Like, it, like it, you can tell when it shifts to, like, oh, I'm going to get something narrative in a story, but... It's all. I'm used to like Final Fantasy cutscenes, yeah, where it's FMVs. all beautiful and like, yeah. <laughs> and then this is all in game. That's what I was so impressed by back then, and I'm so right now as it plays right next to me. Yeah, that's also funny for them to say, like MS 
uh, G veterans will find them exasperating when they got progressively longer and longer in the series. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> there are parts later on in the in, in later Metal Gear Solid games where it's just you're watching a movie essentially, yeah. which is what this was before. Um, so yeah, yeah that, Kojima starts dropping his name five times per scene. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, that's the lowest review I could find. Um, overall, though, like I said, it's it has an eighty-five Metacritic score, so it was it was well reviewed. Um, it won no Game of the Year awards though that I could find, which kind of makes sense. I mean, uh, two thousand and three was a pretty big game. Uh, here are some other games that were released in two thousand and three. It's Beautiful Joe two, Metroid Prime two, which was the big mm. hit on the GameCube. Uh, oh. Metal Gear Solid 3 was actually released the same year as Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. <laughs> um, Half-Life 2 was released this year. Halo 2, World of Warcraft, and maybe the best game of all time, Katamari Damacy, was also released in 2003. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that's why I didn't win any. Uh, oh, that was a rough year. <laughs> uh, in terms of sales, Twin Snakes, unfortunately for Nintendo, did not sell well at all. Uh, based on what I could find, it sold roughly 350,000 units worldwide with roughly 75,000 units in Japan, uh, which is, I think the only game that, that sold worse that we've, uh, spoken about is, uh, Rez on the, on the Dreamcast. <laughs> and we established only me and you had that game. Yeah, pr- pretty much. Um, in that same IGM podcast, though, uh, Dennis Diak said that they sold around 1 million units. Uh, but I couldn't find any other source confirming that, so I don't know if that's just him kind of being hopeful or optimistic or... He bought the other Yeah, <laughs> something like that. That's um, most of the comments is out of business. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's true. It wasn't too human. It was actually them just investing on printing more Twin Snakes. Um, one little bit of evidence that I found uh, that the game might may not have sold that well, though, is that the resale value is still pretty high for this game. So I went on eBay and I found listings for the Twin Snakes for $120, $65, oh, and $96 on eBay. Huh. And there is a sealed VGA 85 plus version, which I have no idea what that certification means. But that version was listed for $899.99, <laughs> uh, which I mean, good luck moving that. But it did have 12 watchers. So Maybe one of those will spring on that. Um, Dang, I should have kept mine instead of like throwing it away. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of looking at my twin snakes here and being like, eh, maybe there's some retirement money there that I could make <laughs> if I could get it VGA 85 approved. Um, Just but, slap a, print up a sticker and slap it on there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I I was gonna look what that meant, but I was like, nah, it's all right. Um, <laughs> the point is, it didn't sell well at all. Um, and there was even a premium edition in Japan, which had a Foxhound edition platinum gamecube that came along with it and an emulated version of the original nes metal gear but that wasn't enough to move any copies so twin snakes is another example of the gamecube missing to deliver a big sales hit despite huge names and hype being attached to a project um yeah i i got this project on the day of i was really looking forward to it uh but it's mostly because i was a a GameCube purist, and I was trying to keep it afloat. Um, From one dying console to the next. <laughs> exactly. By this point, <laughs> by this point, though, I already had a PS2. I had gotten a PS2. I was just trying to keep the GameCube uh, hope alive. One uh, thing that I did do, which may hurt my resale value, is that I printed alternate um, cover art for uh, Twin Snakes, and I have it there. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, I still have the original, but yeah, it, it didn't sell well at all. See, it'll add to it. You can list it as a one of a kind copy of the Twin Snakes, <laughs> and the people will say, Oh, I've never seen this artwork on it before. <laughs> you can actually add the cost of the ink cartridges that it costs to make the artwork. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in terms of behind the scenes or trivia, so. The first thing that I found is that the main reason for the re-recording of all of the dialogue is that according to an interview with David Hayter, who is the voice actor for Solid Snake, uh, the increased audio quality allowed by the GameCube, which had like Dolby uh, sound or something like that, uh, the GameCube picked up outside noise from the original recordings that were inaudible in the PlayStation version. And this is because the originals were not recorded in the studio, but in an apartment. So you could hear the street from the outside once you try to port it into the GameCube and stuff like that, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and also, I found something else that David Hayter apparently took a pay cut to ensure that the rest of the original voice actors would be involved in the project, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah, another little fun thing is that, you know, like whenever a character is introduced, like their name will pop up on the screen and then the voice actor will have their names in parentheses. In the original version on the PlayStation, they had like pseudonyms because they didn't want to be attached to a video game. They thought the video game was going to fail. In Twin <laughs> Snakes, every voice actor has their actual name in those parentheses um, because they want that sweet, sweet royalty money, which they didn't get from this game. <laughs> um, Another little bit of trivia is that it was actually Kojima's idea to have over-the-top cutscenes, uh, and that's because originally, like Kitamura had just done like a one-to-one -one mapping of the original cutscenes, maybe just update the camera angles or whatever. But Kojima told him to just go all out, like go do your style. Don't just copy the Metal Gear Solid cutscenes in the remake. Which kind of like if the man that made the original game was cool with these cutscenes, I don't see any reason why anyone else should complain about him um, because it's, it's what he envisioned or at least what he wanted or whatever. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, another little piece of trivia or little fun thing is that Psycho Mantis's dialogue regarding the saved games was altered to mention Nintendo GameCube games. So if you had a Smash Brothers uh, Melee save, a Super Mario Sunshine save, a Wind Waker or an Eternal Darkness save, uh, Psycho Mantis would tell you that you like playing those games when he was trying to prove his power of psychokinesis to you, which uh, was like, a, I mean, if this was really cool back in the PlayStation, I remember it freaked me out. I knew it was coming this time. So I thought it was just, it was just pretty cool that they had updated it to that. Um, and the little piece of trivia is that, like we said earlier, figurines of Mario and Yoshi are now found in Otakon's office along with a GameCube and a wireless WaveBird controller. And if you shoot Mario, you'll restore life, which I did not do uh, or know about that. But yeah, apparently you could do that. Um, the last thing is that the ending text was rewritten to reflect the year 2003 as opposed to 1998 when the original was released. So canonically, it somehow got moved up just because <laughs> the real lifetime got moved up, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, there's a whole lot more things that I could talk about about the differences between the um, like the differences between the original um, release and the GameCube release but they're not really that fun like for example certain names and grammar have been slightly changed so in the original it was spelled F-A-M-A-S for like the FAMAS warriors and now it's just one word and it used to be Fox-Hound and now it's Foxhound so 
There's a lot of those little differences, but they don't really matter. I thought these were the, the <laughs> coolest little bits of trivia that I could find. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't know if you guys find, found anything or, or remember anything that you want to mention here. No, not really. All right. So, yeah, <laughs> so let's get into our questions. Uh, the first question is, what is your favorite moment or thing about this game? Uh, Joseph, why don't you start us off? What is your favorite uh, moment or thing about this game? Uh, I think they were controversial in some of the reviews that I read, like the ones that you had listed in here and then some of the other stuff that I had seen online. But um, it's actually, I was like the actual sequences. Um, yeah, like like you said, they were perfect for Snake, especially a young Snake. My my personal favorite was when he throws that grenade with the accuracy that no MLB pitcher ever has <laughs> straight into the tank and then blows up, uh, blows up that tank. The yeah. rocket one was awesome. Like they're just so silly and over the top. And like you said, just perfect for that time. And I didn't think about it until you made that point that, yeah, like if Kojima, if this is what Kojima wanted, like, yeah, that's awesome. Who cares if anybody <laughs> didn't like it? Yeah, totally. I, that's my favorite part too. It's just not, it's like double, it's like a double reason. First of all, because it's an artifact of the time, because you just look at, look at it now and you can tell when it was made it's just like oh yeah this is when the matrix was made this is when max Payne was made this is when like everything needed to have bullet time equilibrium like this is the era of that so i love that and secondly it's a game about a super soldier that's a clone of another soldier with nano machines in his blood that are gonna kill him and like nuclear powered mechs and crazy conspiracy theories like why wouldn't the guy be able to like backflip over a missile right or dodge a, a sniper rifle within less than 500 yards like how can he do that but it just fits it makes sense it's like this over-the-top action thriller movie and the franchise would only go on to get crazier like <laughs> so to me it's perfect that these things exist like i think the the what happened in twin snakes is should be canonically how things actually went down more so than anything else just because it fits the tone overall better than uh than even the originals because the game just went on to get crazier and crazier uh what about you hector what's your favorite moment or thing about this game um well i never played the original like the one that was released on the playstation which mm. i'm glad because <laughs> this this was a great introduction and i was so happy <laughs> i bought this on day one as you did yeah. um but my favorite part is that is the narrative part with the with the women because mm. it seems so mature even though it's like rated teen i think at the time mm -hmm. and it shows that solid is like out of place even at this point because he's like as soon as like may gets on the codec <laughs> he instantly starts hitting on her yeah and then yeah. like when he looks at um oh, i forgot her name uh when he's looking at the Meryl? soldier and she's running, Meryl, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, I remember anybody in a suit, whatever, because he was checking her out. Yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. like, he's just like hitting on everybody. It's the most hilarious thing. It's a plot point that he can recognize Meryl in costume because he recognizes her butt. It's yeah. like, Kojima wrote that in the game. <laughs> <laughs> the original one. Yeah. The it's, one that's like a legendary game. Yeah. It's, it's a plot point, which is really weird. <laughs> and I couldn't stop laughing when the fact about like the codec is an audio only communication but somehow he was able to see how cute they was, <laughs> they was with it. it and i was like <laughs> so yeah the, 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 like that's one of my favorite parts of the game because it like it goes throughout the whole narrative and just doesn't stop at one spot so 
Uh, one little thing about the codec that I thought was that they also kept from the original is that to get Merrill's codec, um, it's actually on the back of the game packaging. So if you look on the back of the game packaging, it'll have like a code, a codec conversation with Meryl. And um, that's where her channel is. And if you put that in the game, that's the only way you can find her. Um, so the game has a lot of these like fourth wall breaking things, like um, especially Revolver Asa, he'll address the, the yeah. player directly at the camera and say things like, there's no continues, you get what I'm saying? Or stuff like that. <laughs> and it's like, uh, it was just a weird little thing that kojima was doing at the time to kind of seem edgy or whatever and i, I like that they kept that but yeah th those plot points of solid snake are are funny and weird and just kind of like what is going on <laughs> i wonder if that's what led kojima to want uh how do you pronounce it diak yeah dennis dennis diak yeah i wonder if yeah. that's what he what caused him to say all right now that like i wonder if he played eternal darkness and them having to done a lot of the same bits yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll trust that guy. <laughs> Let's let him do it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, Eternal Darkness was very well received even in Japan, so that could have very well been part of it. Uh, but that now our second question, what is the worst part of the game? So, Joe, what is the worst part of this game for you? Uh, definitely the audio. Between the really? voice acting and the changes to the music, I don't know what I liked less. Mm. Um, yeah, like I hark on audio a lot on here, and yep. the old one... While it was rough recordings, like it was actually better in my opinion because there it has room effects and you can hear the reverb when mm. there's stuff in there and like with the transmission, like it gets broken up. But on this one, it's like shiny mics and they're right up on everybody's mouth and we're talking <laughs> in like no sound rooms at all. So yeah, it was just super distracting in a lot of their dialogues. Like they're and it's just me, I guess maybe looking for this stuff i'm like no you guys are in a very reflective room how are you talking into a dead microphone right now <laughs> um but then like it's better quality for sure but it's that it, it's higher quality not better quality in my yeah. opinion um mm. and i i like the just personally I, I guess just subjectively i like the original mixes a little better mm. um yeah i think they tried to do too much with it and even though the technology was there like in wind waker the music was really good this one i think just didn't stack up to it mm. okay yeah, I mean, that is an interesting thing that it's just like, just because it's higher quality doesn't necessarily mean it's better, yeah. uh, which is uh, which is a very, very valid point. Uh, what about you, Hector? What is the worst part of this game for you? Uh, this is going to be like really personal because I think it's just me at the time. <laughs> so this is like my first like stealth game, even though it's not really that stealth. Mm. So the openings, cutscenes, everything you get dropped off and you get at the platform. Mm -hmm. It took me two days to get past that because I had no <laughs> idea you could crawl like mm. underneath and there's no like guided tutorial. It's yeah. just about the codec. And I was so pissed when a, when a friend like finally told me and I was like, oh, I can hit this button and I go under this and sneak by. Oh, OK, that's great. Two days and I broke a controller. <laughs> was it a first party controller? Uh or was it like one yeah, of those? Yeah, it, it was the, it was the it was the original wired one that came with Ooh. my GameCube. Oh, <laughs> wow. that is a lot of frustration. Uh, <laughs> and you yeah. still kept going with it. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least you didn't give up. Um, I think for me, it, it kind of related to the gameplay. Well, I think they kind of assumed that anyone who bought this game played the original, which is kind of why they kept it that way. I'm assuming. I don't know. Uh, but for me, the worst part of this game 
is actually that introducing elements of Metal Gear Solid 2 kind of breaks Metal Gear Solid 1. Um, and the biggest indicator of that is that this game was easy for me, which is... Uh, it's kind of like weird because the recurring theme of this podcast is that I objectively suck at video games. Uh, like, for example, the original Metal Gear Solid 1, I rented it probably five times in a row and I never beat it. Like, I got near the end, but I never, ever beat it. And this one was a breeze. Like, I beat it on my first run through. Um, and so, like, for example, I remember there's this uh, boss fight with Revolver Ocelot where you're kind of chasing him around the room and he's like ducking around columns and stuff like that. And in this game, all you have to do is just enable first person view and you can like get his shoulder from around a column and that's it. It's over. Yeah. Um, so it's just like little things like that that kind of breaks the game because they kept a lot of the guards in the same positions and the cameras aren't as deadly anymore just because you're way more accurate. Uh, in the first game, like you had a first person view to look, but you couldn't shoot. So in this one, like as soon as you have it, you can see the cameras and you can shoot them out and that's it. It's done. Right. Um, and that's because that's, that's the new element, which I feel like it broke the game essentially, like at least certain challenging aspects of the first one because of the limitations were broken by the new mechanics, which should happen. Um, but I mean, overall though, it made me beat the game, which is a, a plus <laughs> like it's a positive <laughs> but I, yeah but i do recognize that this like the first one i was so tense playing it every time because i just knew i was gonna die soon and in this one eventually like i just felt like oh no i'll, I'll get out of this I'll, I'll beat it or whatever um like another little thing is that in the original you, you start off with like a very small life bar and then as you beat bosses your life bar increases and on this one, you start off with like a big life bar. So it's just like little things like that, because that's how you start off in Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, it's little things like that that kind of break it. But yeah, overall, to me, it's a positive. But it is, I, I one, do recognize. One section I saw demonstrated that like you have to go across the whole map and actually do all the stealth stuff and go through all the camera. In the new one, you can just jump over the, the railing hop the fence like hop the fence and then jump 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 right on the elevator so a mission that would have taken you five minutes before now takes you like five seconds yeah yeah and it's because now you can hang over uh edges which is yeah. a new mechanic from Metal Gear solid too so it's just like it's if you're gonna be totally faithful to like the level design and stuff like that as soon as you introduce the new mechanics it breaks them uh but then if you redo the levels to to fit the new mechanics, then you're essentially breaking the remake, right? So it's kind of like a catch-22 thing, but that's, I think, the worst part, that I lost a lot of that um, tension in this game that the original gave me, but I got to beat it, which is cool, because I got to see uh, Solid Snake kiss Meryl on the snowmobile as they leave or something. <laughs> or the other way around. I think it's Meryl that kisses Solid Snake, so that was very exciting. Uh, <laughs> third question, how did the game age, and what parts of it age the best or the worst aside from the graphics so i'm gonna take this one first because we kind of touched on this earlier i think the creepy parts of the game didn't age very well like creeping on meryl or recognizing her from her butt or like if you like in any cutscene where there's a female if you switch to the first person view mode like the camera mode will start on their chest which is just <laughs> weird um 
that didn't change. I think even like in Metal Gear Solid in Metal Gear Solid Five, you would still do that, right? Like there's that scene with that um the other sniper, the one that breathes through her skin. That's why she's na- uh, naked. Um, and if you stay in the helicopter with her and you look in first person mode, like Snake is just looking at her boobs uh, over and over again. So <laughs> Kojima has not learned that <laughs> or done anything about it. But I think those parts, especially it being integrated to the plot, um, didn't age really well. But like everything else, I think it aged relatively well. I actually think the cutscenes aged perfectly because. Again, they're like an artifact of the era. Um, what, what do you think, Hector? How do you think this game aged? Uh, I think it aged pretty well, except for <laughs> exactly what you're talking about. Because it cracks me up thinking about it now. But if someone played it, it'd be like, they might take offense to that. And I go, that's pretty much all Metal Gear Solid games. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially that bathroom scene when he meets up with Meryl. And like... He like like directly right at her chest, and then he pans up. He's like, "Oh yeah, and then you're uh you're the colonel's niece. <laughs> Been looking for you." <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's just weird. It's it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier in the season with Soul Calibur Two. It's just like, yeah. why? Like it could have just would have been just as good without it. I, I don't know. I was gonna say that's another relic of the time too. Kind yeah. of if you if you put all that there because Soul Calibur and all those. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like, you know, when you watch the old uh, James Bond movies with Sean Connery and you're like, whoa, chill out, dude. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> kind of feels like that in certain aspects with Solid Snake, uh, which definitely didn't age well. What, what do you think, Joe? How did the game age? Uh, yeah, I mean, this one and the next one are kind of hard because like with Twin Snakes, how do we treat it as a remake or an original? Um, yeah. And so I think on this one, we actually can't really exclude the graphics on it. Mm. So yeah, it was a graphical and mechanical overhaul of like a legendary game. So I mean, yeah. I mean, it mostly aged well, except for those plot points that you guys are talking about, which yeah, it's just not not cool anymore. Yeah, and you know, like I played both of the Metal Gear Metal Gear Solids, the PS One and the GameCube one, and I, whenever I think of Metal Gear Solid, I think of the GameCube one, um, which I don't know if. I think everyone that played this game thinks that just because it was presented in a much better way. Uh, because it was overall a much more enjoyable experience, I think, and just because it looks more like the rest of Metal Gear Solid. So I, I think in that regard, it helped the Metal Gear f- franchise age better in terms of just having like a cohesive visual language or something like that. Um, but yeah, there's certain aspects of it that, like that storytelling, but that could be applied to every Metal Gear Solid game because Kojima's a little bit of a perv in that regard, I guess. Um, I don't know. I have not played that Stranding. I got scared off from a couple of YouTube reviews, but uh, have any of you guys played it? And does it uh, is, does it have similar themes or something like that? I've yeah, seen people to, play yeah. it. Yeah, I've seen people play it, but it just looks like you're delivering the mail. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how how Kojima could be his normal self in that. But I'm like, I don't want to play an Amazon logistics uh, game or something like that. It looks <laughs> um, so yeah, let's go on to our fourth question, um, which is what is the legacy of this game in gaming and maybe culture at large? Um, and I can take this one first because I think this is uh, like one of the big legacies of this game is that it shows that HD remakes are a viable means for perfecting or re-envisioning a game um, that could lead to be a, a commercial success. But even if it's not, the stakes are very low and the potential rewards are very high. 
Um, and I think that's something that Nintendo especially has taken to heart because we have HD remakes of like uh, Twilight Princess, of all the Legend of Zeldas, of of all the Super Mario games, of, you know, everything pretty much gets an HD remake. And they were not even as ambitious as this one was. Like, for example, the Wind Waker HD remake on the Wii U just has like updated graphics and widescreen format and uh, like a new item. But that's it. Like everything else is exactly the same. It's not like introducing new mechanics or anything like that. And I think Twin Snakes at least is that one. Or for example, um, you know, like Demon Souls on the PS5, which uh, on the PS, yeah, on the PS5, which is like, it's it's introducing the new mechanics into the first game, right? Um, and if not for Twin Snakes, I feel like you can draw a line from there all the way back to Twin Snakes because it shows that like, yeah, these remakes are are viable. They're a thing. They're low risk and high reward. And uh, even if it fails, kind of like this one did commercially, um, you didn't really lose that much. I don't know. That that's that's what I think at least. Um, what about you, Hector? What do you think the legacy of this game is? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, you're really taking the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> but also, I think, like, the it's, the, like, a time frame as well. Like, mm. you don't have to wait so many years for to mm. do it. Like, they did this within, what, six? Yeah, six years. Maybe Square Enix should have paid attention to this instead of making me wait 23 years for <laughs> Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. Um, I've been wanting to give them money again for the longest time, and mm. they made me wait almost two decades. Um, that is that is true because I love Final Fantasy VII. I think Joseph, uh, you played it at my house over a yeah. summer. Remember that? Uh, um, that and was, <laughs> well, we got I to this too. I remember like, we were so surprised. We were not expecting it at all. We had been on this one for so long. <laughs> yeah, but that remake took so long that I even forgot to buy it. Like it came out last year, or it came out in 2019, didn't it? Or 2020? I don't even know when it came out. But it, it came out last year, yeah. Yeah, it took yeah. so long that I forgot to buy it. So <laughs> I get I get your point that you don't have to wait that long. And this game definitely showed that. But and another thing is, this is a complete game. And mm-hmm. they did such a great job. Mm-hmm. And now, like, just a little thing. Seven is, what, 10% of the game? And they still got to release three more chapters or whatever. Ooh. So <laughs> just release it all at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 is a, a good point. And I did not know that it's not a full remake so maybe i gotta wait another 15 years for the full oh please don't say that (laughs) uh what about you joe what do you think the legacy of this game is yeah i think it's the same thing that you guys do just about the remakes um i mean specifically like in their intentions because i read a lot of or yeah i read a lot of his interviews and saw a couple other ones where uh diak was saying how they intended to do uh, i mean for the for the most part they did rebuild the game Mm. um despite what some dude on YouTube who made an hour-long video <laughs> thought. Uh, I didn't think that all the remade elements were too egregious, but mm. I suck at video games just like you do, and this was the first experience that I had for it. Uh, so I, mean, I thought it was a really good blueprint for what remakes needed to be as we tried to revisit these titles, especially like legendary ones like this one with Metal Gear. Mm. Um, but there was also parts where, yeah, there's game-breaking stuff. So it was just kind of like... Yeah, like that's a legacy where you can draw these lessons from here. Don't introduce game-breaking mechanics or figure out ways to introduce game-breaking mechanics. And this is how to graphically make them. Um, or things that you can get away graphically um, mm. with with revisiting these because they did completely revisit those cutscenes and just completely change them. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is true. Um, 
and, and it's a very valid point. I just I have another one too that like it shows or it is a legacy of this game, and that is that the GameCube couldn't catch a break, man. It's just like <laughs> so. It's just like we're getting a new Zelda, and it that didn't save uh, the GameCube. It's like oh, Capcom is gonna release all of these games for it. And that didn't save the GameCube. Oh, we're going to have a Metal Gear Solid on it. And that didn't save the GameCube. It's just like time and time again, it was like this game was going to be what brings people to the GameCube. And it just didn't happen. And uh, yeah, this is another one. This is another one that showed that it was like a doomed console from the from the beginning with Luigi's Mansion. I blame Luigi for setting a bad tone and <laughs> ruining the feng shui of the GameCube or whatever oh my it was. God. Uh, but yeah, I think this is another one. It's just like, dude, not even Solid Snake could move, um, which he was like a big star at the time, right? Like Metal Gear Solid 2 was one of the best games of the era. Metal Gear Solid 3 was another one of the great games of the era, but it just, on the GameCube, it just, it just didn't sell. It didn't move consoles, and it's just like... I mean- it's kind of a doomed or it's kind of a flawed theory when I think about it now. Like Metal Gear was a pretty big Sony thing and considering yeah. how entrenched the console wars were at this point, like how much crossover were you really going to get there? Did you really expect uh, diehard Sony people to buy a GameCube to replay the first game they ever like the first Metal Gear? Yeah, I mean uh, I well, guess I had all right. the consoles. <laughs> I just never played that one. Like I had GameCube, I had PlayStation, PlayStation Two, and the Xbox at the time. Wow. Yeah. And so like, but I only had like one or two games per console. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point, Joe, because Metal Gear Solid Two had just come out, and it sold a bunch. So all of the like the Metal Gear people were on the PS Two already, and I don't think many of them. Or many of the PlayStation people didn't go to the PlayStation 2. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it's not like, I don't think there was many, like the audience for the game just wasn't on the GameCube, maybe. Yeah, um, and then they had to have known from the development cycle it was going to release at the same time as Metal Gear Solid 3. So like, yeah, yeah especially you weren't going to get more buy-in from Metal Gear people when they have a new experience to, to go through. Yeah, that is, maybe it was a doomed, uh, or maybe... Uh, the act should have taken longer. Just release it the next year or something yeah, like that. I, yeah. I don't know. But definitely, it definitely hurt that it came out at the same time as Metal Gear Solid 3. But um, I still blame Luigi. Anyway, fifth question. <laughs> Is this the peak for any of the studios or generations or consoles or developers involved? Is this the peak of anything? What do you think, Joe? Uh, no, no. I don't think it's the best Metal Gear. Probably not the definitive Metal Gear experience anymore. Definitely not the best Silicon Knights game, despite what you may say. <laughs> uh, not the best GameCube game. Uh, there's a baseball podcast that I listen to that clowns on long qualifiers. So I think that applies here. And it, this is it. It is the best Konami GameCube game released in America. Released in America? That's, yeah, that's a hard qualifier. <laughs> there's a Japanese baseball game. Uh, the, the franchise, I eventually came here and I played it once... Uh, I think it was the Wii was region free. Mm, One yeah. of those games was region free that I played. That I played. Uh, I forgot even what the franchise is called, but that game was probably better than than this one. The only one that I can say was probably better than this one. What about? Uh, let's see. Disney Sports Skateboarding on the GameCube. That's that's released by Konami. Wow, yeah. Konami released very bad games on the GameCube. Yeah, I, that's, I, that's why I went through that list. The one that you're looking at, and I was like, oh my god, this is terrible. Wait a minute. They they released Dance Dance Revolution Mario Mix. There you uh, go. Nope. No. Oh, hey, I had Karaoke Revolution. That's another one that they released. But <laughs> wow, there's a bunch of clunkers here. 
a, there's a Crash Bandicoot. There's a Disney Sports Football. There's two Froggers. Yeah. Yeah, two you may be froggers. right. <laughs> but that is a very long qualifier. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Hector? Does this game represent the peak for anything or anyone? I think it's the peak of a collaboration between two different companies <laughs> that didn't want to work with each other anymore. <laughs> that is true. They very clearly did not want to work with each other just by seeing this. Uh, <laughs> wow. these, are really, these are really, really bad games. Shikaru no Go? What is that? Apparently it's oh, like an anime. I love that anime. It's an anime based on a board game, Go? Yeah, it's based on Go, the oldest like board game in the world. Oh, there you go. There's there's two of them. There's Hikaru no Go and Hikaru no Go 3, but not Hikaru what? no Go 2 released on the GameCube. Oh my gosh. Uh, maybe it was released by a different studio. Maybe. I'm going to I'm going to petition Nintendo to release it on the Switch now. <laughs> um for me, and this is um it, this is Peak Silicon Knights, the game development studio. So they had just released um, their original IP, Eternal Darkness, right? And it did really well. And it did so well that both Miyamoto and Kojima, two legendary video game designers, trusted them to remake this game. I don't think it gets any better than that. Um, and then they would take all of that goodwill and go on to produce Two Human, which was a very bad game. And X Men Destiny, which finally killed the studio off. So, yeah, I think which I th they were required to <laughs> destroy like all copies of. <laughs> they were required to destroy all copies of because they were using an illegal version of the Epic uh, Engine. Engine, yeah, Whoa. the Unreal Engine. Wow. See, I didn't know that. So, I think at this point, like, at as they were developing this game, that is the highest that Silicon Knights was in terms of like cultural cachet or like reputation or everything and it all went downhill after this like this is their this is their post-world war ii boom and uh x-men destiny is uh trump getting elected president right it's just like it's the last ga gasp of empire there um, please don't say that because i had that game and i like fighting with it yeah, some people voted for trump man yeah, you know? <laughs> um but yeah, I, I I think that's the only peak that it represents. It, it, maybe it's not the best Silicon Knights game um, because of Eternal Darkness, but it's definitely like at this time is when Silicon Knights had like the best reputation. Be? Like that they, they had everything to lose at this point, and uh, they ended up losing it all. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they we're, did. <laughs> we're yeah. on a roll, guys. We're on a roll. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know. They didn't know this was the the. It was all downhill from there. So, yeah. Um, this brings us to our sixth and final question, uh, which is how would this game, Twin Snakes, work or look like in 2021? Uh, what do you think, Joseph? Um, when I was thinking about it, I think I want to return to a stealth classic. Uh, in this case, one that not many felt fondly about. So the stakes would be even lower here. But I personally loved it. Uh, I think the new mechanics of the series would actually benefit really well. And seeing it with a new vision and less repetition would be would make it a perfect game. One of the few games that I've ever 100%ed, and that is Assassin's Creed Remastered. Ooh. Hmm. But hopefully by somebody different other than Ubisoft or a current Ubisoft studio. <laughs> it has to be a Nintendo developer that just released a really good game yes. and then would go on to release an <laughs> X-Men game with an illegally acquired engine. 
so yeah, that, that that's weird. But um, I thought you were gonna say um, Splinter Cell for some reason. No, I was never. Yeah, a big that's Splinter what Cell I'm fan. gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> you you were never into Splinter Cell. I was never a big Splinter Cell person. I because I, I suck at video games. Mm. I played it and I was like, this is cool. If I was good at it, and then gave up on it. <laughs> uh what do you think hector what do you think this game uh how do you think it looks or yeah what does a twin snakes look like in 2021 uh splinter cell like i played <laughs> splinter cell um because of this game this is the reason why i ended up buying splinter cell mm. and my friend and i would play on xbox live together and just have the greatest time doing the missions and acting like idiots um but yeah, I believe it would be totally like a remastered Splinter Cell because that game was fantastic. The stealth on it was great. Mm. Yeah, I think Splinter Cell was actually way more stealthy than this one. Yeah. And Splinter oh, yeah. Cell had a much more grounded world that than Metal Gear Solid because Metal Gear Solid, you know, had clones and clones of clones and <laughs> nanomachines and AIs becoming sentient and all that good Drop stuff. Dropkicking rockets. Exactly. Splinter Cell um, just had Sam Fisher who was like 80 and would never die. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't, for me, I don't know what it looks like because I'm trying to think of like all the current popular game mechanics and none of them really make a Metal Gear, like none of them really make Twin Snakes better. We already know what an open world Metal Gear Solid looks like because that's Metal Gear Solid 5. Um, but I'm thinking like, if you were to apply that to Twin Snakes, is it any better? And I don't think so. Cause I mean, you don't necessarily have to go through Shadow Moses. You could just go around it. And what do you, what do you gain from doing that? Right. It's just nothing. Yeah. It just ends earlier. It's another game breaking bug or something like that. Um, what I'm thinking though, is that a Twin Snakes, for the modern era is something like a game from the ps3 era being given like the ps4 ps5 treatment which now i don't think the generations are that much different so i mean to me it really was impressive like this game highlights what a big jump it was to go from playstation to gamecube or playstation to playstation 2 right just because the games look so vastly different and the fact that you have so much more computing power meaning that you can modify the cameras however you want or anything like that but now like the jump from one generation to the next isn't that big um like for example uh there's not really that much difference between grand theft auto 4 and grand theft auto 5 like mechanics wise because it doesn't like the computational part doesn't afford you much in that way it's just kind of like bigger or no that's it. Like, it's not really anything different yeah. mechanics. So I think it can't exist because just like the generational lines are too blurred now. And that's another reason why this game is is worth speaking about and worth remembering, because if anything, it showed just how far video games had moved in six years, which now is just like Grand Theft Auto 5 was released in 2013, right? And it's still getting yeah. new updates and there's no chance that it's going to get like, we're not going to get grand theft auto six anytime soon <laughs> just because um, yeah. And back then it just shows how quickly games moved. And now it's kind of like the generation lines are more blurred. So this is the first time that I was genuinely stumped by this question because I don't think twin snakes or a twin snakes experience can exist in 2021. Um yeah, just because the, the the lines are way too blurred. They're too uh the generations aren't that much different from one another. 
just like, oh, this one's 8K and the last one's 4K. It's like, well, who cares? <laughs> it's just... yeah, like my eyes can't tell anymore. Exactly. It's just like it doesn't really make that much of it. Oh, I'm running at 240 hertz. And before I used to run at 120 hertz. Sweet. It's like I still have a 70 hertz monitor. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I couldn't really think of anything. Um, I thought maybe we could have uh, the closest thing to a 2021 Twin Snakes would be to have snake in Fortnite, but that, that, that oh would, my God, nobody please, wants no. that yeah nobody wants that um but yeah that's smash it. brothers smash brothers well yeah he's, he's in actually smash brothers, right? <laughs> and and isn't it twin snakes snake like isn't it like based yeah. on that model so yeah it's like he's there there you go <laughs> um but yeah that's, that's the, all that's the legacy of this game the legacy yeah, of smash it. brothers yeah, it allowed snake to be in smash brothers because of this game um but yeah, is there anything else that you guys want to share about Twin Snakes? Any memories or anything that you guys had about it before we wrap up? No, I'm just surprised that Hector broke a controller off of this game and kept going. I think I broke a controller off of NFL Street once <laughs> off an online game, and I was like, fuck this game, never again. <laughs> I couldn't go buying controllers at the time. I was in high school. <laughs> I... I, I was broke, just so uh, mad about the whole thing. <laughs> no, I'm I've been there. Because <laughs> and because now, like, I'm watching it. Like, what people can do this in four hours, and it <laughs> took me like three weeks to finish the game. And I was so like satisfied at the end when like I went off on the snowmobile with Meryl. <laughs> yeah, I I only broke a controller with uh, the Dreamcast, so and it was <sighs> virtual tennis. <laughs> oh I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I would> be- <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, thanks, you, uh, thanks guys for uh, joining me and talking about this um, weird artifact of the era, but overall a very unique, very enjoyable, very solid, good game. Um, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend, leave us a review. Um, but yeah, thanks guys, and we'll see you next time. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.